Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome once again to Draftville, the podcast leading into the NFL Draft in Nashville, Tennessee. We are part of the USA Today Sports Network. I am Tommy Dees, your host, based at the Tennessean offices just a mile or so from where the draft will take place in downtown Nashville. Our guest today is Mel Kuyper of ESPN, the man who's made a brand for himself and and made the draft into an industry. He'll have insights on history and as well as the 2019 draft. And we are joined by Mel Kuyper, uh, who has been a part of the uh, ESPN coverage of the draft since the 1980s. Is that right, Mel? Yeah, 1983 college football season, 1984 draft. This will be my 36th year at ESPN and my 41st year actually uh, covering the draft and scouting players for the draft. So how has the draft changed in in all those years? It's changed a lot, I guess. Uh, Maybe not so much on the football end, but certainly on on the event end. In the event end, it's been a huge difference. So, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, people were asking me, why are you putting out draft reports? So, you know, why are they televising a draft? Nobody cares. Nobody's interested. And you saw how it grew and grew to the point where now everybody cares and everybody's interested. So it's pretty amazing, the event it's become. And to see it back in the day and to see it now, I think it's a rewarding feeling. I think we look back and say we kind of proved the doubters and the skeptics wrong, <laughs> that this was something that could be a, a huge entity and a huge venue uh, for various cities now, which were, were going all over the country uh, with the, you know, you think about Dallas, you think about Chicago, Philadelphia, now Nashville, Las Vegas next year. Uh, it's going to be great. We were in New York all those years, and then we finally we left New York to go I think it was to Chicago for the two years, then Philly for a year, then Dallas, and now, like I say, Nashville. Yeah, and, and let's go back to the first one that, that you were part of the coverage of. And um, where was it there? I know it was in New York, but it, what, that was pre-Radio City Music Hall, wasn't it? Yeah, it rotated. It was in like the grand uh, ballroom of the Marriott Marquis, and it moved around in New York for all those years. And then it, when it moved to uh, uh, out of New York, it went to uh, Chicago for those two years. And then, like I can say, then to Philly, and then um, last year to Dallas, and then this year Nashville, and I can say next year Las Vegas, and they're going to go to all these different cities on a year-to-year basis. So uh, it's been fun to, to take it over to, to cities that have teams and you have all that NFL fan base. And what you find, too, Tommy, in all these venues, fans from all over the country will come and be part of it. So it's become uh, such a, almost a national holiday. What, what do you remember as, as far as your first fan memory? Um, at the very first one you were at, were there Jets fans booing or <laughs> Eagles fans cheering? Or Well, Eagles fans don't cheer, I guess, but uh, booing their choice or, or anything like that? Or, or when did that part become part of it? Well, in 1984, uh, my first draft with ESPN, I was working with Chris Berman and Bob Lee, and we were in Connecticut, and that was the year that Boomer Esiason 
coming out of Maryland, you know, thought he would be a first round pick. We all thought, you know, he was going early to mid first round. Well, we were in the second round. The Bengals had three first round picks, didn't take Boomer, then took Boomer in the second round. And I remember we got Boomer on the phone. We talked to Boomer after that. And I brought up Dan Fouts and Johnny Unitas, the great quarterbacks that were, were overlooked in the draft. Uh, at the time, even Joe Montana. So uh, it was, uh, you know, he was obviously a little disappointed. But uh, we were able to, uh, that year, we left the draft, I believe, in the late second round. So we signed off. The draft coverage was over late second round. And now to see every pick being, uh, being on TV and it's been that way for a few years now is even more amazing. Yeah, and that was like that would like start on a weekday morning, like a Tuesday, didn't it? It's Tuesday morning, exactly. Tuesday morning and uh we had remember back in the day we had twelve rounds. That was a twelve round draft. So at one point in time it was a seventeen round draft. People don't remember that. But uh now a seven round draft is really with compensatory picks, an eight round draft, but like I say, 12 rounds and 17 rounds not that long ago. At least for me, it wasn't long ago. <laughs> right. What about the fan part? When, when, did that, when do you remember that becoming part of, of, of the fans showing up to, to cheer or boo their, their team's choice? It was immediate. The, the first year to be there in New York and, and see everybody coming from all over. Like every team was represented with some fans. And they would dress up, and they would come there like they were going to a game. You saw the Raider fans, and all over the place, you'd see fans up in the in the in the, in the balcony of the grand ball, uh, of, the, of the grand ballroom of the Marriott Marquis. So you know, the fan base was huge. They would be waiting in line from like two, three in the morning, Tommy, to get into the track because there was only a limited number of tickets available. So they were staying. Like, they would get in line two, three, four in the morning to wait to try to get into the draft. With with your role with the draft, I mean, you are Mister Draft, and and I can't imagine in, in the mid eighties you thought, you know, my career path is that I'm going to be the draft guy, and that's going to be a thing um, that that I can literally be mainly known for that as a year round specialty. Um, could you have envisioned your role and and how it has evolved? You know, Tommy, I kind of yes and no. When I got into the business in nineteen seventy eight seventy nine. I thought there was a market for draft reports and reports analysis on prospects because fans didn't have any other vehicle to get this information. So when players were drafted, it was the only way you could improve your football team from year to year or change your football team was the draft. There was no free agency, very few trades. So I figured, okay, if fans are watching college football and then they want to see these, who these guys are and know who these guys are, then this would be a, a, something that we could market. I think fans would be interested in and maybe purchasing. We can maybe make a business out of this. And that's exactly what happened. And then as the business grew, the draft interest grew, and it kind of all worked for me simultaneously. Did, did, did over the years your, your role, as far as even though the number of rounds reduced, um, did, did your prep time grow into more and more weeks and months? Yes, it always did because of, of every pick being uh, evaluated and being a part of the television coverage. Uh, and even then, you had it for the draft report. I was covering every player available and scouting 750, 800 players just to know that some of these guys could maybe get drafted. So, yeah, it was always a, a huge uh, you know, endeavor. Uh, and it was a business, and it was something that fans all over the country, Canada, all over the world, really, were purchasing these draft reports. So, uh, you know, that was something I started in 1979, 80, and then I started, like I said, with ESPN in 1983, 84. 
Yeah, and, and I guess now you have so much more film you can look at, um, whereas probably back then, you know, you might see a guy on TV, you probably didn't get a lot of all 22 where you could really study what a guy was doing. Well, what I did then is I had the big satellite dish on the roof of our home back you know, on Ramblewood Road in Baltimore. And uh, we would have that big dish that I was able to get somebody else was seeing and watch games that I could never have watched without that. So you know, I was watching all the NFL games. So, yeah, there was that, that big satellite dish was huge for me to get information. And schools would send me tapes. And I would do, I would do anything and everything. I was traveling. To, I would drive to a game in the afternoon, a game at night. Um, I, had, you know, I was talking to my friends in the league and who were getting the reports, and I became good friends with. So, um there was there was some ways and means if you worked hard enough and you you did all that extra work and I was working sixteen hour days to try to get that type of information to the fans. Right, and and I guess there were probably more more sleepers um, in in those days, guys who who were not known by every team who got picked. I mean, just just Jerry Rice going in the middle of the first round. I think in retrospect. Um, oh yeah, Mississippi amazing. Valley State. That was the year that you had the Jerry Rice and you had Eddie Brown from Miami of Florida and you had Al Toon from Wisconsin. And there's Jerry Rice, the 49ers, and Bill Walsh trade up to get. And uh, you know he struggled initially. He dropped some. I remember the first camp he was dropping balls. And in the day, the way it is today, I said, "Oh, is he going to be a bust and he develops into the greatest wide receiver of all time?" So uh, Jerry Rice was one of those players. He was, he was well known by the time draft day rolled around, and uh, by the whole process, he had been written up and talked about a lot. And and uh, he was an elite plot prospect coming out of Mississippi Valley State. Yeah, and and I would think today very few. Fewer of the players from smaller schools fall between the cracks. Is is that what you would? Is that something you've noted over the years? Very much so. I mean, between the combine workout and the senior bowl and the all star games, and they're bringing everybody and everybody trying to get the prospects that have a chance to play in the NFL an opportunity to showcase their skills in front of the NFL uh, top brass. So I think there's a lot of avenues now for players to showcase what they can do that maybe weren't available back in the day. But uh, it's certainly college football now is so huge, and you get games televised all day from noon until two, three in the morning. People are watching college football and watching one double A games. Uh, you know, people know who these prospects are from Delaware now. They know who these prospects are from various schools. That in 1983, they had no idea. What are, what are, do you have any best memories of, of your draft coverage? Any moments that, that you feel like you nailed something or? Or something, or, or are there any nightmare moments that you hope to never repeat? Well, you, you know, the whole thing with the, the Bill Tobin year with the Indianapolis Colts, uh, you know, when they picked, uh, you know, you know, they picked uh, it was Trent Dilfer is what I thought they should have taken. They drafted Trev Albert, linebacker from Nebraska. Ironically, I ended up working with at ESPN, right. and we had a lot of fun in the, you know, talking about that whole thing, how it went down. When Bill Tobin said that his mailman knows more about football than I do, <laughs> the whole who the hell is Mel Kiper thing. Uh, that was uh, certainly a memorable moment for me, and and uh, some things with the Jets over the years. So I mean, it's just been like you say, it's the various things that stick out. But I think the Bill Tobin uh, comment back uh, with the Indianapolis Colts is one that I think everybody remembers. I think you got that right, didn't you? I don't know. I'm looking back. I, I mean, I, 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 he had his view on the players, and uh, he drafted a player he thought would be good. So yeah, it did work out for Trent. And ironically, Tommy. Trent Dilfer comes to Baltimore, my hometown, ends up winning a Super Bowl for Brian Bellick and the Baltimore Ravens. So it kind of what Trent came full circle. He was, he was the one that everybody kind of associates me with. 
And he ends up going to the Pro Bowl. He ends up winning a Super Bowl in Baltimore. So I mean, it was pretty funny how that all worked out. And Trev Alberts ended up working with me at ESPN. Right. And Trent Dilfer now lives in Nashville. Yes. He's a great guy I and mean, a good friend of mine. Just saw him actually at the uh, combine. Okay. Well, let, let's switch our attention to this year's draft, uh, coming to Nashville, Tennessee. Just in general, having been at the, the ones that have been live, um, obviously all of them are live, but but in New York, you're kind of in a contained environment, um, and, and they've gotten bigger and bigger with the, the move from city to city. What do you expect from Nashville? And, and this will be your first time here, right? be my first time. Tim and Lauren, my wife and daughter, are looking forward to it. Uh, there's so much to do in Nashville. Kirk Herb Street down there has been telling us for years about Nashville. And I know Tim and Lauren have been trying, we're trying to, we're actually going to plan a vacation uh, in the next uh, several months to go down there and just have fun and enjoy it without having to work and do anything with the draft. But uh, Buzz Brainerd, actually, listen to Buzz in the highway every day. Buzz is off the floor day talking about Nashville and Lower Broadway and the Margaritaville and all the things going on at Bridgestone Arena. So yeah, Buzz Brainerd in the highway uh, back in Baltimore all over the country. Everybody listens to the country music and, and Buzz is a superstar because of that. Right, and, and we look forward to having you in our city. Now, Now, looking at the, the nuts and bolts, the players end, um, first of all, let me, let me just kind of, this is a little out off the left field, but what, what would be the biggest surprise to you in, in this year's draft? Well, I just think the way it's unfolded is a surprise to me because we didn't expect Tommy back in August, you know, you know, the number one player in this draft, the number one pick in this draft, Tyler Murray, to be even in this draft. We thought it would be in the minor leagues with the Oakland Athletics. Uh, and that's you know, Dwayne Haskins. We didn't expect him necessarily. He had one year as a starter, and he comes into the draft. So I think some of the things that we talk about a lot now happen to be Murray and Haskins, and back in August, didn't look like they may even be a part of this whole draft process. Another guy that's emerged, and, and um, there have been several, but uh, I think everybody knew Bosa would be a high pick and, and still will be. But Quentin Williams probably wasn't on everybody's radar before last season. Not, now, not as a first third year sophomore had really emerged. I remember to, I do a big board on ESPN every two weeks uh, on ESPN.com, and I kept waiting on Williams because I didn't want to put a third year sophomore, first time starter on the big board after three or four games. And I figured that'll be too much of an attention getter to say, well, okay, who is this guy? But I waited, waited, and then finally said, I got to do it. He's too good. He's too dominant. Quentin Williams went up with the near the top of the big board, and he's basically maintained that spot as the number two player on the big board. And you can make a strong argument. He's the best player in this draft. Right, and everybody's talking about this being a defensive line and, and edge rusher heavy draft. Um, is, is that Do you agree with that assessment? And then what, what other positions do you think there's real depth in? Wide receiver is going to be, I think, a little iffy in the first round because of uh, Marquise Brown's injury. Uh, DK Metcalf, Ole Miss, injured two in the last three years, but a talented kid. Uh, but I think the second, third, fourth round for wide receivers is going to be really good. Second, third round for running backs is going to even into the fourth, fifth round for running backs should be strong. Interior offensive lineman is good. Uh, as you mentioned, defensive line overall is very good. Uh, defensive in general, defensive players in general, very good. Uh, some depth at cornerback and safety. So really, it's, uh, I think from the second to the seventh round, Tommy, you're going to get some really good players. Yeah, and everybody, of course, pays attention to the first round, and that's where the marquee value is. But, but the draft is won and lost in, in like three through seven, isn't it? No doubt. Uh, in fact, the best draft of all time was the late, great Bill Walsh, who 
who orchestrated the draft in San Francisco, where they acquired you know Tom Rathman, Kevin Fagan, Don Griffin, and the list goes on and on. And they didn't even have a. They traded out of the first round. They traded down in the second round. Didn't pick until the late second round. I remember Chris Berman. We were even uh, you know uh, kiddingly saying, "Are the Forty Nineers going to make a pick before we go off the air?" <laughs> so they did, and uh, and then he got paddled one of the greatest drafts of all time without even like I say picking until like the late second round when they took Larry Roberts, the so, uh, defensive end. So that was arguably like I say the best draft of all time without a first round draft choice. Who who in this year's draft class do you think right now is being overvalued? Are are there any? Any players who stick out that, that you think are too big of a question mark or are too high on other people's boards? Yeah, I would say a couple. I would say Rashawn Gary, a defensive end from Michigan, who's highly skilled. He's a number one player coming out of high school at any position. But he only had 10 sacks in 34 games at Michigan, tested off the charts. So you say, okay, here's a kid that's so physically, so athletically gifted, why not more production? But I think he would be kind of an enigma, a kind of a polarizing figure in this draft. I think he would be one. I think when you look at other players, that are Greedy Williams, a cornerback from LSU, who you would like to see be more physical, a little bit more aggressive, show a little more toughness, support the run, tackle better. Uh, but if he covers well in the NFL, he's going to be a pro bowl caliber player. So he's one of those guys may not be complete, but if he could cover in this league, You'll play in a long time, and you'll be get to basically uh, get the high honors. So I think those are some of the guys I think would be a little, uh, little hit or miss. Who, who do you look at as sleepers, um, people that you see great potential in who, who may not be getting uh, first-round grades? I'd say when you look at the second round, and I think that's the round you go to where you find, always find some of those guys. I think Titus Howard, offensive tackle out of Alabama State, uh, it would be a real good pick maybe for the Eagles in the, in the 53rd spot, a pick they get from Baltimore. Uh, Colin Saunders, a defensive tackle from Western Illinois. I think he's deserving of being a second-round draft choice. I think those will be the two guys. Uh, even, even a kid from, uh, you know, from Washburn, cornerback uh, Corey Ballantyne is a kid who uh, has a chance because he's a great special teamer, good cornerback, played well at the senior bowl practices. Uh, so those are some guys a little off the radar that I think have a chance to be pretty good. And we will have, you know, we expect 100,000 or more people uh, crowding uh, lower broad, but a lot of them are Titans fans, and they pick 19th. So who who do you think they should pick, and who do you think they will pick? Well, it could go defensive tackle. I mean, a big defensive tackle, 342-pounder Dexter Lawrence from Clemson. Uh, when he was healthy and 100%, he was an outstanding player. He was more than just a space eater. He was disruptive behind the line of scrimmage, hustled to the sidelines. Uh, he's got a lot of talent. And uh, I think if he's a possibility, if he's there at 19, and then you come back maybe in the second round, if you want to add a wide receiver, maybe Debo Samuel from South Carolina, who's got great ability after the catch, really elusive and tough to get down in the open field. So I think if you can come away with a defensive tackle like Lawrence and a wide receiver like Debo Samuel, I think you've had a pretty good first two rounds. Well, Mel, we look forward to having you in Nashville and um, enjoying uh, your draft coverage. Uh, you're one of three networks that will be here now uh, as this thing has grown and grown. You, are you surprised that it's, that it's become as big as it is? Tommy, like I said, back when I started in this business, everybody, even my own family, I would say, why are you wasting your time doing this stuff? Get a real job. <laughs> and, and, to, and to see it the way it is right now, like I say, going from a, a draft that we would let leave sign off in the second round, and, and now the, the, it's about covering every round and seeing it uh, moving from city to city, and now 
various networks, like ESPN and ABC, and it's, it's been a it's, it's a huge gathering of everybody. And not many people around the country, everywhere I go, they're always talking the draft. They're basically 12 months a year, they're thinking draft. So it's pretty amazing. I would have never imagined in a million years, back in 1983 or 1979 when I started, it would be this big. Well, thank you for coming on with us uh, today, Mel Kuyper of ESPN, and we really appreciate your time. Look forward to having you in Nashville. Thanks, Tommy. Can't wait to get to Nashville. And that's it for this episode of Draftville. Thanks again to Mel Kuyper of ESPN for joining us and uh, providing us with his insights and memories of the draft. Uh, We look forward to you joining us again next week on the Draftville podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and all your favorite podcast places. We appreciate it if you would download it and drop us a rating.